A new consensus among the liberal progressive media class appears to be cohering around the Warren campaign, which has surged in the polls over the past couple of weeks. According to this new alleged common sense, the debate between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren can be best characterized as distinctions without difference. How should democratic socialists combat this new talking point emerging from the Warren campaign? And how do we move beyond the electioneering horse race of the Nate Silvers and the Vox and the progressive commentators of the world and instead start talking about values and the crisis of capitalism? All that and much more in today's episode of Dead Pundit Society. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's A-Side of Dead Punnett Society. I am your host, as always, Adam Proctor. And joining me on the line today is a familiar voice, a guy who has done the rounds in left and progressive social media. He has faced some really awful debate sparring partners on YouTube and podcasts. Uh, he's going to get a much, much, much friendlier audience here on DPS today. Uh, ben Burgess is back. He has written a really fantastic book that people should check out if you haven't checked it out by now. Uh, where have you been? It's called Logic for the Left. Uh, give him an argument. He's going to give us an argument today about why the distinctions between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren matter. But we're going to assess the way that socialists have been making this argument. And uh, no better guy to do it. He's also a lecturer. He teaches logic and other courses at Georgia State University. Ben Burgess, thanks for coming back. All right, thanks for having me. Now you said this is going to be a friendlier forum than that. So if we if we end up getting into some disagreements here about you know how we should critique Elizabeth Warren, you're not going to start yelling at me that I'm a beta male. <laughs> beta. <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't have the context, uh, tell tell the audience where this beta mm. joke comes from because I might just you know randomly just start beta. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you, that way, I want to make you feel comfortable because that's, sure, sure, sure. that's what you're no, used that's, to. That's what you're used to. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So who was this? Who was this? This, this nutcase who uh, went on his so, YouTube channel and had yeah, this weird it's debate. The, uh, it's the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, who basically, if you've ever seen the Boondocks, uh, he's Uncle Ruckus. <laughs> uh, but he's yeah. a he's a um, uh, extremely extremely conservative black reverend and commentator, and he has a. Uh, and uh, a surprising number, I had never heard of him before I went on, which was probably obvious, but uh, but like a surprising number of people I knew when I, when, I, when I told him, they were like, oh, yeah, no, he's crazy. I used to watch that guy, you know, so uh, he, uh, I'm not sure how much of his audience or uh, people who really watch him and how much are people who, who just kind of, you know, gawk at him, but he's, his, uh, his modus operandi is to like ask to – uh, totally ridiculous questions, you know, like, uh, let's see, since, uh, since Mexican immigrants are, um, are take, taking away jobs from black people and, uh, and I'm opposed to Donald Trump, uh, and, you know, the border wall, uh, why, why is it that I secretly hate black people? <laughs> then if you, you know, if you start to question the premise, the you know, premise that like, you know, that he tells you you're running or you're a beta, yeah, you know, yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was, yeah. that's definitely the strangest media thing I ever did. That was wild. That was definitely wild. Well, Hey, you're doing, uh, I don't know if you're doing God's work, uh, because the Reverend might, uh, the good Reverend who's, oh, by the way, I, I, I'd like to see his, uh, his divinity school credentials. Yes. I don't want to open myself <laughs> up to like a, uh, you know, a slander suit or a, a, you know, a defamation suit rather. But, uh, you know, I don't know if the good Reverend really, uh, finished school, if you know what I'm saying. We're, we're going to be a lot, we're going to be a little nicer today. But we do have an equally important and pressing topic here. The main question at, at hand today: we're gonna we're gonna be all we're gonna go all over the place today. We're gonna we're gonna roam far and wide. But let's be honest: Elizabeth Warren is surging right now in the polls. Yeah, and you know, I you know I don't want to be too impressionistic about this, too reactive in the discourse. Capital T, capital D, trademark the discourse being what it is. But it does really feel like last week. We we kind of under there was a sea change kind of took place last week, didn't? Mm -hmm. 
And it seemed like the, the mainstream media is really thumbing the scale for Warren in a, in, a, in a somewhat troubling way, in a way that democratic socialists need to sort of think about and assess and so that we can regroup. Because, I mean, hell, there's, we're, we're over four months from the first primary. We're over four months from, you know, New Hampshire and Iowa and Nevada comes a little bit later. It is very, very early. And yet we feel like we've been doing this forever. You've got the likes of Emily Tish Sussman, former VP of campaigns for the Center for American Progress, cap mm-hmm. near a Tandon's outfit, <laughs> you know, going on MSNBC and basically declaring, since there are no differences between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, if you're still pushing for Sanders over Warren, well, you must obviously be a sexist. I mean, first of all, there's a, there's a lot we can say about that particular argument. They're, tr- they're trotting out some very familiar talking points from 2016 in that primary. But did you feel the way that I felt last week, that there was a, some kind of qualitative shift that had taken place in the discourse? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been obvious, I think, for a little while now that the, that the media was you know, playing up Warren in a way that you, know, you don't have to go too conspiratorial about this. That, you know, at the very least, we can say reflected their dislike for Bernie Sanders and the fact that they wish he wasn't in the race and they wish they didn't have to talk about him. And so a lot of times they just don't talk about him. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're fully capable of writing articles about the race between Biden and Warren, yeah. <laughs> you know, just that just erase Bernie Sanders like he was Trotsky in some old picture from 1917, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it, it's definitely gotten worse and it's it's working. Right. So, uh, you know, Warren is doing very well in the polls. And again, as you say, you don't want to be too impressionistic about it. You know, I can remember, you know, I remember the week, uh, you know, the week in 2012 when, you know, Herman Cain, you know, was, uh, <laughs> was leading for the Republican primary. But on the other hand, you also don't want to be like, well, like I was in 2016, where I kept saying the same thing about Donald Trump, you know, that you want to recognize that like, all right, so, you know, anybody could be up for a week or two, but like, you know, this, this is a very solid trend and it, it's, you know, it's, it's too soon to panic, but it's certainly not too soon to take the danger seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we're four months out. A lot can happen. Let's be honest. She's still hamstrung by her Native American claims and they're getting worse. Uh, somebody dug up a clip from, I believe, her 2012 uh, senatorial campaign where she not only claimed to have Cherokee ancestry, but also Delaware ancestry she said her mother was half delaware half cherokee so she's you know she this isn't going to go away anytime soon and i've heard i've heard off the record from from journalists and people that i've talked to that have been speaking with democratic party strategists who are who are behind closed doors very very concerned about this weakness and vulnerability with warren well as this should be because i mean if she's nominated i mean I, i really think that a lot of you know, a lot of progressives are in denial about this, but if she's nominated, this is all we're going to hear about, like, you know, for like half the general, like this is the, you know, we're going to get months and months of parsing the stupid Native American claims and uh, trying to figure out what we should think about this and hearing, you know, like it's going to be this, you know, we're probably going to hear more about this than we are than we heard about Hillary Clinton's emails because uh, this is frankly like just a intrinsically like a little bit more salacious than, than the emails are. Uh, you know, like like this this whole like it it plays so well for like certain kind of culture war moment. You know that uh, that like there's this there's just no way right. We're not just going to endlessly hear about this if if Warren is the nominee. And I think a lot of progressives have decided that because. Because they've just because it's not an issue in their minds, therefore it's not an issue, you know, for uh, for the general election and uh, and and the media and the electorate and and you know that just doesn't follow, you know, it's it, it's very much going to be an issue, and some of this, like I don't want to exaggerate because like a lot of this, you know, some of this is just personality and whatever, you know, because like I, I think that uh, you know Elizabeth Warren did a not very you know not particularly admirable thing and like, you know, played up her extremely dubious sliver of Native American ancestry in the kind of shameless way that she did, contributing to the cookbook and everything. But like there's also a there's also like a big level of like who gives a shit, right? Like this is not um, you know, like like it's nothing I can get excited about being mad at her about either. But 
it's also if Bernie Sanders had done something like that, which of course he wouldn't have, the media would have a, have a much harder time keeping it alive and the Republicans would have a much harder time keeping it alive because like when they tried to bring it up at debates, he'd be like, I can't believe we're talking about this. Do you know how many people don't have health care? And that'll be it. Yeah. Yeah. His message discipline is, is pretty great where she just every time, you know, somebody brings it up, she just steps in it all over again. You know, she, she's really she's really unable to shake this thing. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Apologies. I started that. But it's impossible not to bring up that there's this tremendous vulnerability, even though you know, I, don't, I don't I definitely don't want to call her a paper tiger because she has some very, uh, you know, powerful progressive institutions backing her. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the Working Families Party, yeah. um, you know, endorsement from last week. You know, we've got the United Healthcare Workers who voted 50-50 to vote. Uh, or it wasn't a 50-50 uh, outcome, rather, but they voted to split their endorsement between Sanders and Warren, and that's a new union, a very radical union at that. Uh, some anecdotal evidence on the ground in the wake of those results within the United Healthcare Workers Union was that a lot of people really liked Sanders. They just felt like Warren was probably more electable. And, you know, this really points to the strength of, of what we call the capital T, capital D, the discourse, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in, in manipulating people's assessments and getting them to go against their own kind of gut instinct to be in favor of Bernie Sanders to, to go for the, quote, more pragmatic choice. And not only – and not only their own gut instincts, but like the available data, like like the uh, uh, the polls don't say that Warren is more electable than Sanders. The polls say the opposite, that they have like now that like Warren has uh, has surged a little bit more, you know, you can find, you know, there are polls where she, you know, where she like does does pretty well or as well in the general election. But there are way more polls where Sanders beats Trump in the general election and particularly beats Trump in the most important states in the general election than there are where Warren, where Warren does. So it's not even a question of, you know, like, I mean, certainly my gut instinct says that Sanders would do better, but like, it's also, if you want to go all Nate Silver about it and say that you should just be like, you know, putting your faith in the stats, you know, then, uh, then they say so too. Right. So like the only thing that's saying, like the only reason anybody anywhere has to think that Elizabeth Warren is more electable is some combination of an inference from her politics, which I'm sure we'll get into, or just because the media has told them that so many times, they think there must be something to it. Yeah, right. And we're gonna get we're gonna get to that right now because you know we're already if we're not careful we end up deep deep in the horse race. And uh, you know I don't know find yourself walk a horse track after a horse race and uh, you'll be what do you, you'll be you'll be uh, knee deep in shit and that's where you are right we're knee deep in horse shit at this point because we're talking about statistics and numbers that are unmoored un you know decontextualized from the broader social issues and the problems that people face every day and the crises of capitalism that are myriad at this point uh, that you know this this puts this is where democratic socialists as i mentioned to you off air before we started you know i've, I've got a a piece that hopefully will be coming out in the next week or so on this. I'll be spelling some of this out more uh, in more detail. But, you know, the horse race is now kind of the home field uh, advantage. It gives home field advantage to the progressives. They're really at home in this and in the stats and the policies and the claims that, you know, well, there's no real substantive differences between these policies. <laughs> and, and anytime they lure us onto their on, on, into the horse race, we're really on our back foot, aren't we? I feel it. And it's frustrating because it, 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 it presupposes a lot of premises that we don't actually share, but you're sort of enticed into into you're seduced into sort of acting as if you share them. For example, there are no differences between Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren that matter. Right. <laughs> uh, that's that's the sort of starting point for any article or discussion around this between trying to litigate the Warren versus Sanders kind of position. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's absolutely poisonous because we have uh, like our starting point as socialists is just in really simple terms that things don't have to be this way, right? You know, that people yeah. have, that people have agency, they can decide, right. you know, they can decide collectively to change things. Uh, and where, but like what all of this horse race punditry does is, is it gets to the point, like if this has got, like, this is so pernicious where like, you know, we're all to one, ex- like it's, it's not, you know, I, as much as I like to uh, crap on my, uh, 
high school classmate Nate Silver. You know, it's 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 not even like it's that we're like we're all encouraged to be little Nate Silvers. You know that we have a uh, that we're all like everybody is talking about this all the time. Like ordinary people, like in conversations about the election, instead of actually talking about why you would prefer one candidate to the other, uh, they what we're doing is we're all spending all of our time collectively predicting who we'll vote for instead of talking about why we should or shouldn't vote for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, and we, so we're, we're, we're jump, we're skipping the step, right? The, the real crucial step there of talking about values, uh, analyzing kind of uh, society, the, where, where do the, where do the problems come from? What causes them? Um, and of course, this is where we think, you know, over and over and time again, we will write this and write this that we're blue in the face and the progressives will just sort of rule it out of, out of order, you know, at the outset, this is why we write it's so important that Bernie Sanders puts his finger precisely on the problem and the origin of the crisis, which is capitalism, capitalism, full stop, not crony capitalism, not uh, corruption under capitalism as Warren would have, uh, but just capitalism itself. Best case scenario in capitalism, it produces these inequalities and throws up these various crises that it is unable to uh, to, to to fix. And you've written quite a bit about this. What do, what do you take of those differences? What does Warren mean when she says crony capitalism? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when Warren says this and, and look, this isn't, you know, I don't think we're doing any, ourselves any favors by pretending this is an absolute difference between them, you know, between the candidates uh, like – you know, Sanders does sometimes use terminology like this, you know, you know, game is rigged, it's stuff rigged, like that. Right. Uh, but that's because, you know, I think the way I think the way to think about this is that Sanders is somebody who comes out of the socialist tradition. He's has like he's held on at the very least to some very solid, you know, um, social democratic, you know, goals and like a very different way of seeing the world than, you know, than any of these guys. And he has. But, you know, he's he's been, you know, he's he's in the, the muck of it in American of American politics and has been for decades, which is a good thing. Right. You know, that like that's the, that's the goal to take power so you can change the world. Uh, but it also means that, like, sometimes the way he sees things, the way he puts things is somewhere in between the way that, like, you and I would like to. Right. You know, and and the way uh, and what's like standard in American politics. But. The difference is that Warren is, you know, Warren was never in Yipsel, right? You know, that's yeah, uh, yeah. the that's if you if any listeners who don't know, that's the the Young People Socialist League, you know, where where uh, where Sanders started out politically. Yeah, he credits that as still to this day, sort of giving him his sort of political compass, his sort of moral and you know principled uh, positions that he still upholds today. Exactly, you know, um, there's there's no picture of of Eugene V. Debs in Warren's office, you know, that's uh, <laughs> uh, so. So, so look, I mean, just, just a real simple, real, like, you know, real bare bones, you know, terms, you know, if you think that like Warren frequently talks and this is actually, I think pretty revealing because, you know, like, look, Sanders, you know, will sometimes use this terminology about the middle class and, you know, I'm enough of a left-wing pedant that, you know, there's like, what does that mean? Really? What you know, like, you know, but here's a way that I hear Warren talking a lot that I never hear Bernie talk. You know, well, the paths into the middle class have gotten narrower. She talks about that all the time. That's like a constant point that she hits. And that really tells you something right there that like that, you know, and it links to the way she talks about how the game is rigged, that, you know, that that there's that like it's this is crony capitalism, not, you know, proper capitalism. Remember, she says she's a capitalist to her bones. Uh you know, like that's that's her phrase. Uh, you know, she loves capitalism. She just thinks that like we, you know, in a way, she almost sounds like a libertarian the way that like some libertarians love to talk about how there's like real capitalism, you know, it's clean capitalism or there's this like kind of corrupt state, you know, of capitalism that we've got. Uh, and so she thinks that because the people who are winning the game uh, are being corrupt and like they're like buying off the refs and whatnot. Uh, then, um, then it's, it's harder for people who are starting out with less to play the game. And by playing the game, what she really means is getting ahead, you know, those paths into the middle class that she worries have gotten narrower. Um, and this might be one of the, the biggest differences. So Eugene V. Debs, you know, just said his, uh, his picture is up in Sanders office, 
uh, you know, famously says, I don't want to rise through the ranks. I want to rise with the ranks, right? You know, that, uh, that we want what we want as socialists and any kind of, and this is the fundamental basis of like any kind of like left economic agenda, you know, that's, that's, that's the left of liberalism is that you want to, ch- to change the class structure, you know, that you're not, you know, that it's not that you don't, you know, that like capitalism is a system where uh, most of us have to go to work for people who own businesses, capitalists. Uh, and, you know, most of everybody else has no realistic choice except for to go to work for those people and submit ourselves to them. And at the very damn least, anybody who's even a proper social Democrat sees in the old fashioned, you know, kind of sense of that term, uh, sees the goal of uh, left politics as as at the very least shifting the the balance of power uh, in the direction of the working class, you know, giving, you know, giving workers more, uh, more collective power, you know, you know, against and, and understands that it's, it's not a, uh, that it's, it's a zero sum game, you know, right? The more power they have, the less power we have and vice versa. And of course, ultimately, you know, ultimately the goal of socialist politics, properly speaking, is to uh, eliminate the capitalist class entirely to say that, you know, that there shouldn't, there shouldn't be this separate class of people who, who own businesses and don't have to work and everybody else has to work for them. You know, we, we should have a society without divisions into classes where, you know, where uh, workplaces are collectively run and, uh, and there's some element of democracy at work and whether that means co-ops or nationalizations or some combination or what have you, you know, we've, we've, we've eliminated this division of society between, between capitalists and workers. And it's, it's not that Bernie is running on a program of, you know, um, of smashing the state and instituting workers control the means of production. Uh, it's that, but it's that he comes out of this worldview and he understands that it's about building the collective power of working people against the collective power of the owners. He says that one of his goals in his first four years of office is to double membership in labor unions. Exactly. So, you know, these are all really great arguments and you've got me nodding along. I've got my hand up in the, in the sky. Like I'm at a, at a, at a Sunday Baptist <laughs> revival, you know, you so I'm, I'm sold. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to pull the lever for Bernie. I'm ready to make some phone calls and, uh, and organize. And, uh, you know, I'm ready to, Hey, maybe let's, Hey, maybe we should record a podcast about this. You, you want to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's all do right. it. All right. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Maybe, uh, we're busy right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you got me, you sold me. But do you think right now the way that we're making this argument in the discourse is uh, is, is successful, right? No. I mean, and, and that's the problem. It's like what I, here, let, let me let me let me preface this a little bit. I think I'm writing about this right now. I'm trying to sort of think about what did the la- what did last week show us? Well, I think last week showed us that you know some some of these motherfuckers out here need to grow a spine. <laughs> I think yeah. so. Let, let me just be real. Let me just be real, real blunt about it. I mean, my in my perspective, I'm, I was being as charitable as I could until just about ten seconds ago. Uh, I think some people out there need to grow a backbone because we're four months out and they're ready to they're ready to concede already. And it's like you know, we're, this is going to be. I mean, my God, do you think the transition to democratic socialism is going to be an easy one? <laughs> you think it's going to be one <laughs> that it isn't an uphill fight? You know, where 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 you know we're not walking uh, to school in, in ten feet of snow uh, uphill both ways. Right. Like this is we haven't seen anything yet. You know, this is the, the kind of fight that we're going to face from the ruling class if we start to gain more power in the balance of forces, you know, forget about it. So people need to have a, more of a spine. That's first of all. But second of all, what we learned is that this pro- this this kind of like uh, progressive left block mm-hmm. that emerged in 2015, 2016, uh, both in and around the Bernie wave and, and sort of uh, peripheral to it. And the movements that produced and catalyzed in the Bernie wave, that progressive left block is far more fragmented and perhaps even more contradictory than we thought it was. Yeah. Uh, Myself absolutely included. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the takeaway. So given that is the case, that the arguments that we find to be just, you know, uh, straight out of the words of the gospel are, are just completely not compelling to large swaths of, of, of people who, who do comprise that sort of progress left block. I think we'd really fail if we kept making those same arguments uh, ad nauseum at this point 
uh, you know, finding them falling on deaf ears. Yeah. I mean, look, so some of this, I mean, right now we're just starting to get oriented, right? You know, what's this difference in worldviews between them? And, and we can start, you know, getting more into how it both filters into the, into the policies and how they, they think that they would enact the policies. Uh, but of course, if everything is done at this certain kind of pitch of abstraction, right? Like, the problem with what I just said is that I'm kind of making the case for why uh, socialists should support Bernie Sanders and socialists already support Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Are uh, we do- and that's, I guess that's my question, right? Like, are we doing too much of that? Yeah, are, yeah. We, are we preaching too much to the choir? I don't I don't know. Because, I mean, we, we do need to. We, you need to preach to the choir, right? Yeah, you I need mean, to make sure that your troops are rallied and they're inspired and they're motivated. Those are your – those are your 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 battle troops, right? They're the ones who are going to be making the phone calls and knocking on the doors and raising the money, and that's not a given either. But are, are we doing the other thing enough? Is that, yeah, yeah, we we right? yeah we we don't we also very much need to not just preach to the choir, and yeah, and so this this is a problem, and and so one way to kind of start to uh, you know to get a, a grip on it, right, is uh, is to think you know because you know if if it's if our pitch is, hey, uh, you know, we think that uh, capitalism shouldn't exist, and uh, and you know, Bernie Sanders is like more aligned, you know, in a complicated way with that perspective than Elizabeth Warren is, then I, I think I think everybody kind of knows that, like, or or you know, some the, some people you know talk like they don't know it, but at any rate, people you know, people who are on our side. Uh, certainly, certainly have a sense, and I think a lot of people who are on the other side of the Sanders Warren split have that sense too, uh, and that's why they're on the other side of the Sanders Warren split. I think that woman who said that uh, if you're still supporting Sanders, you're a sexist. I think if she truly believed there were no policy differences between Warren and Sanders, she would hate Elizabeth Warren everybody as much as she hates Bernie Sanders. Uh, but you know, where you know, how do we get from there to like this sort of? People who maybe voted for Bernie in 2016, but were never, you know, were never on the left wing of the Bernie coalition, you know, like the, basically they thought that, um, you know, they thought the healthcare sounded good and that, uh, and maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they didn't like that uh, Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq war. And, you know, they have the idea that the U.S. could be a little bit more like, you know, like European countries with stronger welfare states sounded good. But a lot of those people uh, have, you know, drifted into the Warren camp and uh, and don't, you know, aren't moved by the policy differences between them. So starting to think about how we can move them, uh, one way is to, you know, to think back to one of those classic, you know, early 20th century uh, socialists, you know, uh, Rosa Luxemburg, you know, who's famously said, right, you know, we can't just – tell people that a cooperative society would be more desirable to live in, right? You know, they have a, like, we've got to show them that it's it's socialism or barbarism. And, you know, frankly, I think that that's probably never been more literal than it is right now. Uh, that, like, you know, that, like, the, if if the climate change worst case scenarios come to pass, like, like those are, those are really bad, right? You know, that's, uh, and I think that, you know, that's where I think that one of the places certainly where the rubber really meets the road because, Bernie Sanders understands that, you know, whatever the ultimate horizons of his politics may be, and, you know, he can do the mind reading thing, but like whatever you think about that, Bernie Sanders understands that really getting a grip on that issue means starting to take some pieces off the board, really, really like take some serious economic power away from the capitalists. Like he's literally talking about nationalizing the energy grid because like that's what it's, you know, just because like that's like hard-nosed left realism. That's what it's going to take. And, and Elizabeth Warren doesn't want to do that, right? Like she's, she's, she's all about like, you know, we can tax, we can regulate, we can do this and that. But I mean, you know, we certainly, you know, nationalizing energy, that's, 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 you know, as the old Phil Oaks song goes, you know, you've gone a little bit too far, right? Uh, so so uh, let, me, let me get let me touch on this because it seems that the argument isn't, you know, I'm not sure that progressives would concede that. And, and this is where I want to sort of get in to try to figure out what the progressives are really thinking. Pardon the interruption, everybody, but this is the part of the program where I ask you to become one of the 400 some odd patrons of DPS Media and support this project. 
I hope you've been enjoying my chat with Ben Burgess. We are trying to make some very important and crucial distinctions between progressivism and democratic socialism. And let's be frank, there just aren't enough media outlets out there who are making this critical distinction in today's political climate. There are tons and tons of vaguely progressive, wishy-washy progressive, somewhat leftist publications and productions out there. Happy to talk to you. And all you know, and bring some really interesting uh, guests on, and talk about some really crucial topics. I don't mean to denigrate those outlets or publications. However, they are not explicitly democratic socialist in orientation. There are only several of us, and we need your support in order to keep this project growing. If you look at this imbalance of power in the media sector, there is little wonder why Warren campaign talking points are now being passed off as the status quo of political commentary. We have to fight back. So if you enjoy this program, if you yourself are a democratic socialist and you want to spread these politics far and wide, continue making these distinctions and fight for a principled democratic socialist future, head over to www.patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe at a level at which you are comfortable. We need your support. We rely on the individual contributions of our listeners. We have no advertisers, no corporate overlords. That means we can say and do whatever we please. So head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe. Thanks for your support. All you patrons out there, past and present, back to the show. I'm going to have one on the show pretty soon here uh, in the coming weeks. But let's, let's, let's uh, help me get my arguments straight here because you're, you're the arguments for the left guy. I'm not sure that progressives would concede that, okay, sure, yeah, Bernie wants to nationalize the, the energy sector. I'm not sure they would concede that Elizabeth Warren doesn't want that in her heart of hearts. But what she knows is that we can't actually get that done. So it doesn't matter. With Joe Manchin in, in office and Kristen Cinema uh, over there in Arizona or wherever she is uh, and, and the other sort of like uh, the blue dogs and the, the right-wing Democrats, like, we'll never get that passed. Uh, certainly not the, a conservatizing institution like the Senate. You know, so so the, the like, yeah, sure, you know, Bernie's heart of heart pie in the sky ideals. Uh, might di- you know diverge from Warren's, even if we could know ever know that, which I'm not sure they would concede that we could know that. But in practice, uh, the differences wouldn't be uh, noticeable. And in fact, Warren's ability to reach across the aisle um, and be a less divisive figure, they claim, would enable her to pa- perhaps uh, be even more radical than a President Sanders. What do you say to that? Yeah, so. Uh, I'd say two things, one of which is about the part of the argument, uh, the the underlying premise about you know what she would want in her heart of hearts, which I actually think we have some empirical evidence about. And uh, the second is about the theory of change. And so maybe let's start with the second because I, I think that's a little bit more straightforward. Uh, and the idea that, okay, sure, could we pass – uh, the Sanders version of the Green New Deal uh, through the uh, the existing House, much less the existing Senate. No, of course not. You know, and Sanders doesn't think we can either. But here's the thing: whatever much more detailed, much more nuanced kind of technocratic alternative Elizabeth Warren's got that you know that like it takes a much longer medium post to explain. There's also no chance of passing that you know, through uh, the current Senate, right? That's not happening either. In fact, you know, I, I don't know if you knew this, but for several years, uh, there was actually a Democrat who was, uh, who was president of the United States, uh, Barack, <laughs> Oba- Barack Obama. I think I heard of that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was he was actually way more moderate than Elizabeth Warren, and you know, and, and he was a and frankly a lot more charismatic too, and. Um, I don't think the Republicans like like I think there were a lot of attempts to reach across the aisle. And I think that the uh, the Republicans were like splashing acid on the hand doing the reaching, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. like, you know, this this theory has been tested. Well, they kneecapped themselves before they reached across the aisle. That's what you got to do. That's how you really uh, show your bipartisanship. You you concede on the single payer thing before you even pass it across the table to show them that, you know, that you care. That's right. That's uh, right. Warren's going to do much of the same. I mean, I think you know that theory of social change is really, really vital. That uh, that 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 nothing happens uh, without a demand and without a, a social, uh, you know, a social class constituency that that is is armed and 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 able and capable and has the capacity to pull it off. This is, I mean, really, like 
the heart of just kind of your bread and butter Marxism. Yeah. It's just a, it's an assessment of capitalism, looking at the social forces and trying to figure out how you muster the kind of power necessary to make change. Yeah. And look, I think we can see a lot of examples of this, you know, historically, like I don't think that like even the most dyed in the wool centrist Democrat would try to claim with a straight face that if there had been no civil rights movement – you know, just like LBJ being so good at like, you know, haranguing senators or whatever uh, would have made the civil rights happen just like in a vacuum, right? Like, you know, like no sit-ins, no marches, no anything, right? You know, that like that like just 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 if LBJ or a version of LBJ with the appropriate, you know, the appropriate ideas about social justice would have just wheeled that into being. Right? Like like nobody claims that. Yeah. Right? Like, well, I mean, you know, uh, Dick Nixon is the most progressive president perhaps we've had in the past 50 years <laughs> if you just look at major legislative packages uh, that he was a that, that passed during his administration that went across his desk and he put his signature on them he is one of the most progressive presidents we have had if you look at those that very narrow of course uh, uh you know margin which is yeah, not yeah. nothing which is not nothing you know I, I could rail these off and i know the clean air act was one of the major ones or there sure. are a handful of others that are completely escaping me right now but um, this stuff does matter. And it's, it's, it's bizarre to me that it just goes out the window, uh, when progressives argue for Warren, do you think they're being like purposefully duplicitous about this or, or do they believe this, this case that they try to make that Warren would therefore be able to reach across the aisle in ways that, that Sanders could not? I think they believe it. I think that they're, uh, I think that they don't have a conception of, of what the alternative is, right? Like, like I think that it's been, it's been so long since we've had the kind of grassroots mobilization that Sanders is talking about that a lot of these people, like, even if they kind of know it as this abstract thing about history, they, they don't really take it seriously as a possibility. And they, they, they don't like, they kind of don't quite think of that as an option. And so, of course, at that point, given, you know, given what you saw, you know, the Obama years, you could either just like, you could either just give up and like, you know, stop talking about politics and do something else. Or you can like tell yourself that like, um, you know, that like a slightly better, you know, that like a version of Obama with like slightly better policy instincts or something would have somehow been more effective. And as little sense as it makes, I don't think they have any alternative but to tell themselves that. So, yeah, I think that, like, despite the fact that, of course, there's nothing, you know, that, like, um, you know, Joe Biden probably, like, wouldn't be able to get anything through, you know, much of anything through right now, much less Warren, you know. Uh, they have, like, really, like, you need, like, a fundamental sea change in American politics uh, to, uh, you know, to change anything, you know, that, like, you know, with, like, a lot of grassroots mobilization, uh, you know, uh, Sanders is very smart to emphasize, you know, the role of, of rebuilding the labor movement and all of this, which, you know, remember, uh, we were just talking about the civil rights movement, right? Remember that, like, if you actually, like, look at any of those pictures from the March on Washington, right, all the signs have UAW on the bottom of them, right? You know, that was essential, you know, to every, every very with very few exceptions, right? Every significant totally. social mobilization that's ever happened, you know, is is, uh, is the labor movement, uh, you know, to revitalize that, to have a uh, to have like people really like in the streets posing, a, you know, like posing a threat to good order in a way that we haven't seen in a long, long, long time. And the thing is, like, we're almost getting to the point politically where like you need that. To like, you know, you need that same level of mobilization to do the Elizabeth Warren agenda anyway. You you do you you need almost that level of mobilization to like, you know, like let's like if Joe Biden were really serious about all the stuff he's saying now about a public option and stuff, you'd probably need all that to get it done anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no question. I mean, and this is where, you know, this is why I think these these kinds of debates and discussions between democratic socialists and, and, and progressives like absolutely need to happen because 
There's no question that progressives are numerically stronger than us. There's no question that they've sure. captured the mainstream, the kind of status quo, cult, the cultural status quo in a big way since you know 2007, 2008, the Great Recession, since Obama, and, and even beyond Obama, going beyond Obama in ways that uh, people have recognized that his wing of the Democratic Party and certainly Hillary Clinton's wing of the Democratic Party cannot – be the bearer of the kind of radical social change that we need just to pass the threshold of what's acceptable when it comes to things like climate, racial justice, economic justice, gender, all the things, right? I mean, uh, people are just coming to these, uh, you know, conclusions in, 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 a, in a materially organically driven sort of way. And these are things, these are, these are terms that, that, that the punditry, pundits just don't understand. They don't respect. It does not compute. To them, everything is about the discourse, Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and even the good ones. And I want to get to this really quickly. You had a debate with Noah Smith. Yeah. So uh, you just, can talk about that. Yeah, go ahead. Jump in. Jump in yeah, no, I, I just wanted to jump in real quick to say that, like, just because there's a connection that I think is really important that we draw here, like, it's not just that you need this level of mobilization uh, to get Elizabeth Warren's agenda done anyway, so you might as well go for Sanders's, or it's not just that Sanders is better because he's talking about using the presidential bully pulpit in unprecedented ways to try to bring about that mobilization, although that is a huge difference between them. Uh, it's it's also like that you just couldn't have that kind of mobilization for the Warren agenda the same way you could for the Sanders agenda. And there's like a really simple way of like kind of testing this stuff just, just in your head, just think, okay, like I can imagine like a crowd of a thousand people chanting like cancel student debt, right? Easy. I can't imagine a crowd of thousand people chanting whatever the hell it is that Warren says, you know, that they have like cancel student debt up till $40,000 between 40 and, you know, $80,000 have, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't like, like I, I'm, I'm a political a junkie. Big and sign. I barely, they run out of space I barely on the remember what she says. Yeah. And that matters. Like, cause, cause you're not going to, you're, you know, like, like it's, it's that, that old, uh, you know, I, I know, I know a lot of this is very like, you know, socialist inside baseball, but you know, like we've, we've already done, um, you know, Eugene V. Debs and Rosa Luxemburg, you know, this Plekhanov, uh, uh, early Russian Marxist, you know, makes a big deal about the, um, you know, difference between propaganda and agitation and, you know, uh, propaganda is like a lot of ideas for a few people who, you know, who are like really like the people who are in your choir, right. You know, who can like understand like, you know, uh, like like who are who are there for it, who have the time and the energy to process a lot of time. Agitation is a few ideas directed at many people. And that's that's really what you need to uh, to to get this kind of movement fired up, something that like is easily understood and that you can get really excited about in a way that, you know, I don't think. I don't think even the like even the strangest wonks I don't think get that excited about the Warren Medium posts. Right on, right on. So let's let's jump to it. You did a recent interview uh, or debate, rather, I would say, with Noah Smith. Um, I guess that hasn't been released yet. It'll be released pretty soon. We'll talk about that and who he is. He's I think he's a pretty honest guy. It certainly yeah. not doesn't hold the same politics as you or I, but he's an honest guy and he's an exemplar of kind of progressive. Uh, politics and ideology. And another one that I like to hold up, a former guest of of DPS from from way back in the day, episode three or four, if I'm not mistaken, oh, wow. Eric Levitz, who is a super, uh, just a whip smart, progressive left, uh, you know, liberal left progressive thinker writing for the New York Magazine's uh, Daily Intelligence or blog. He wrote a piece called The Bernie versus Warren Debate We Need. And uh, I want to talk about this piece and I want to talk about it in context with your debate with Noah Smith to kind of get into the I want to get into the mind of the of the American progressive. Yeah. Really dissect the way they think. And the first one, I want to go back to the discourse because it really, mm-hmm. really is, you know, uh, the way that they sort of frame everything. And it's the, I think it's the most critical distinction between progressives and, and democratic socialists, because even the way that a, a super smart and thoughtful guy like Eric Levitz frames uh, the rise of the left is very telling. And again, I don't know if this is the, the entirety of the way that uh, that Eric frames, you know, this this debate. And if I pressed him on it, undoubtedly he would he would go a little bit more meta, a little bit more structural. But the way he talks about it in this piece is that the left grew in the wake of the uh, 2016 primary because they were successful in convincing people of their interpretation of why things went down the way they did in in the wake of Trump's victory. 
that bears repeating. The left is successful. And this is what he wrote. Again, I don't know if he's got a deeper structural take. Eric, if you're listening, come on DPS and uh, set the record straight. But the way it was written, and this is emblematic of what you see on the progressive uh, press, is that the left is ascendant because it was able to convince people of its interpretation of the post-2016 primary and election uh, uh, results, interpretations. Now, I mean, that seems innocent. And, I, you know, you can say, Adam, you're being too hard on him here. Yeah. But, it, but, but, it's, but, but this is really crucial. They really do believe that we live in a world, it, at least the way that they, they, they talk about it, right, in public, in, 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 on their massive platforms, they, they almost as though they believe that the world is, is purely discursive, whereas democratic socialists emphasize more sort of material, structural, underlying, uh, 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 you know, sort of motive forces and contradictions and crises of capitalism and politics and economics that, that you know, wherein these social forces sort of clash on, 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 the, on the playing field and throw up these various crises that have sometimes very uh, paradoxical outcomes, right? Sometimes a crisis of capitalism can have a very right-wing sort of reactionary expression because people don't necessarily see it for what it is. You know, they can blame, they can, they can, they can turn xenophobic. They can uh, scapegoat. They can blame the other for their woes instead of, you know, identifying the capitalist or the bosses or the one percent or the ruling class or the political class as their enemy, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've just sort of uh, spewn a lot at you. What do you make of that 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 obsessive discourse? Yeah, yeah. Focus. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I have to admit my well. So my first thought was, well, that's 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 not good, right? You know, if that's uh, that's his impression because because I think that's that's wrong, right? And I think that's obviously wrong in a way because it just pushes the question back, right? So it, like. So by our interpretation of the 2016 election, I mean, just to simplify a little bit, I assume that what he's talking about is is our our frequent invocation of the profound truth that I personally want etched into my gravestone that Bernie would have won. Uh, <laughs> It's it's but, yeah. So we're talking. This is all in. This is all interior to the horse race, right? Because I would like. Exact, I would exactly. like to be charitable and say that he's pointing outside of the horse race to talk about, say, the forces and relations of production in a Marxist framework. But I seriously doubt it. I mean, it even if I could get him to consider, like it. no, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds more like he's pointing back to the horse race from within the horse race, right? So that that outcome would be that had you know Clinton not you know, been chosen and pushed and forced onto the American public, uh, maybe we wouldn't have seen Trump or something like that. Right. And, and here's the thing, because as, as you were talking about all that, I remember thinking, hmm, you know, I mean, because I definitely did my part to, uh, <laughs> to spread this particular idea about the horse race. Yeah, me uh, too. Same. You know, um, like, like, really, like, right at the right at the goddamn beginning. Like, I because I was at the uh, the election night, two thousand sixteen. I was at the uh, that that Chapo uh, the the live show in Brooklyn, and then like I went out to a bar with like a bunch of like people I know, right for Jacobin and stuff, and the heavy and 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 I remember, you know, I remember really adamantly pushing this. This has got to be like what we emphasize right now, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Uh, so, so, so I mean, so Bernie, here's the question: Bernie, Bernie is, is he won. right? Is there something so, so, to it that's so, right? So, so I think that there's a sense in which I can't complain too much about it because, like, you know, having done everything in my power to broadcast the idea that you know um, that that Bernie would have won. I have a shirt, uh, by the way, that says Bernie would have won. So, hey. Uh, sure, sure. I, I, yeah, all right, I, Eric. There, checkmate. You you got yeah, me on yeah. that one. There, there was one that I think I've been wearing around <laughs> since about January 2017 that just has Bernie's face, so, you know, the, or like the sort of iconic outline of it. And it says hindsight is 2020. But uh, uh, damn it. Score another one for Eric. Eric, <laughs> son of a. You know, yeah, I, I, but, I consider Eric a, a friend or I can acquaintance uh, somebody that I stand sure, sure, for and we chat every now and then. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, he's not a – so I'll, I'll, I'll happily award him some points here along so, the so, way. So, so I, I, I don't think like he's totally coming out of left field here, okay. right? Like I think, I think that's, that's – re- on the other hand sure. though, I think there's – the thing that frustrates me about this is that it also just pushes the question back, right? Like so in other words, 
if people are rightly convinced that, like our shirts say, you know, that like uh, that, you know, who we would have done better, you know, in the general election, um, then that's presumably because they think that there are actual problems and actual discontent in the land, right? You know, that, uh, that Bernie would have spoken to in a way that Hillary did not, that they have a, that like, that there was, that the, that people were very like in 2016, there was all this like populist anger practically tumbling down the streets, you know, and, uh, and Trump, uh, Trump, of course, you know, scapegoated Mexicans and Muslims and, you know, side, sidetracked, you know, globalists, you know, whatever that means. Uh, and, uh, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of globalism, but, uh, that's not, <laughs> but, uh, so Trump scapegoated it, but then like, you know, but then Hillary just pretended that like it wasn't there. Right. You know, like, like that, he, you know, like Hillary ran on America's already great, and that wasn't really a convincing message because people have been, you know, I mean, this is eight years after the world economy melted down and, you know, we've been continually told that things were better now, but they didn't really feel that much better. So, like, you know, uh, at least Bernie and Trump were pointing at the same problem, even if they had different solutions to it. And so that's like that's why people think that Bernie would have won. So if you're just so totally inside the horse race prism that it's so self-referential inside the horse race, isn't it? it, Exactly. So so you're not saying, okay, but what is this interpretation of the 2016 horse race based on, right? Right, You know, what's the, what's the reason for thinking that he would have won. And the reason for thinking that he would have won goes back to the larger discontent that is the actual cause of the rise of the left, right? You know, they have a people like, look, maybe there's somebody who's like, you know, like sitting in some interminable DSA meeting saying their pronouns because like they were, they, because like for just purely because they were a centrist, but like, oh no, I guess he would have been more successful in the election, but I I, I don't think there are two of them, right? You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I Fit mean, him inside every, of the phone booth for sure. Yeah, like yeah. everybody... You know, people who are leftists now are leftists because, you know, because of a certain, you know, of a certain combination of underlying material realities and um, and at the risk of just totally losing, you know, the people that we're trying to talk to here. And, and that's the, ideological the thing, right? superstructure. Right? So, you know? what, so what is it about? What is it then about? And I'm asking I'm asking the wrong person. To be fair, yeah. I should have Noah Smith on the show who we'll talk about in just a second or or our yeah. friend uh, Eric Levitz, who's a. Who's a, who's a bright guy and undoubtedly has read quite a bit of Marx and socialist thought. So I'd be curious what his what his th- thinking is here. This is a nice uh, sort of warm up. You're getting me loose here. You're like my coach in the corner. It's like Rocky <laughs> Four. Is that the one word? No, Rocky Three, where yeah. uh, where uh, Rocky had to avenge uh, his friend's death. That's right. That's uh, right. You know Apollo's death. And go up against uh, uh, Ivan Drago for the win. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're in my corner. You're smacking me around, uh, getting me ready to go against uh, <laughs> Eric the Titan. Uh, uh, yo, yo, Eric. Uh, I got. I don't have a Rocky. I don't. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, anyway, so I should be asking him. But but what what do you think? So so there is there's an implicit uh, like uh, structural critique there. But you, you read these progressive writers on the pages of the Intelligencer blog or in Vox or elsewhere, some of the best representations, right? I'm not talking about the mealy mouth kind of opportunists that we all really, you know, we spit their name out. Uh, I'm talking about the guys who, you know, they're relatively smart guys who just disagree, you know? There, there's a structural critique there. And you yeah. wait for the other foot to drop and it never does. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I think that some of it's just that they have been acculturated – into a certain way of, of thinking about politics that uh, that reflects the assumptions of technocratic liberalism. Even if these guys that we're talking about, even if some of them are politically better than that, right? You know that they that they're they're not like like um, you know like okay like 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 Noah Smith. You know he he does he writes uh, opinion pieces for Bloomberg. And like for those who aren't familiar with him, I'll, I'll just I'll just mention one recent column that like once you hear this, you'll be like, okay, I know who that guy is, right? Uh, he he wrote a column 
uh, that, you know, he does the, you know, he does the journalist columnist thing where you're trying to like reframe things to be counterintuitive. Cause like, that's what plays well in media. And, uh, and so the column was like national health insurance would be good for capitalism. And, uh, and the argument is like more people will be like entrepreneurs because they're not worried about like losing their health insurance. Right. So there you go. Right. That's Noah Smith. And, you know, look, I mean, as much as that clearly reflects a worldview that's very different from ours, it's also, you know, that's also a much better political perspective than, um, than sort of classic. Like if, if, uh, if people have read, uh, Thomas Frank's book, Listen Liberal, you know, the sort of, the sort of like classic technocratic, you know, like nineties kind of liberalism that he's savaging in that book, right? You know, it's, it's a better, it's, it's better politics than that, but that doesn't mean that these people didn't come out of, a media landscape that was defined by the way that technocratic liberals saw the world, which as I understand it is pretty much this, that, um, that I, I like to think of it as like the meritocratic slash technocratic worldview that like the meritocratic part is their analysis of like social injustice, which is that social injustice just is barriers to meritocracy, right? What social injustice is, is anything that stops the best and the brightest from each subgroup of the population from rising to the top. And then like once those barriers have been removed, then everything else is technocracy that like the, the best and the brightest can all sort of, um, you know, apolitically, you know, non-ideologically just kind of figure out together. You know, it's like Leibniz, you know, that like one day different philosophers can stop disputing. They can just sit down and say, let us calculate, right? You know, that uh, they, they, they could just. Or, or like Obama said, we'll all sit down. Let us drink a beer in the exactly, uh, lawn exactly. of the White House. S- yep. sim- similar kind of idea, right? All, all in the same frame. So. To- to- totally, right? So they have like, 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 like the, the Republicans are distasteful bigots, but like they have a, but like. With, but of course, there's all, always the longing, you know, for the semi-mythical moderate Republican and you know, reasonable Republican of the past, because otherwise you have no one to have a beer with. Uh, and then, like, once all of the, once we get this, like, appropriately, you know, diverse, multiracial, et cetera, et cetera, uh, cast of best and brightest characters sitting around the White House lawn drinking a beer, then they need something to draw from in order to know what the sort of smartest fixes are, what these solutions are to social problems. The word choice is really significant here, right? That it's it's not it's not a clash of interests. It's not, you know, a system. It's a, a problem, right? Problems require solutions. Ideology just gets in the way. And then like within this worldview, what what the purpose of, of like an Ezra Klein or a Matt Iglesias is, and even those guys who, you know, I have plenty of critical shit to say about them, but you know, of course, as I'm sure you do, but even those guys to give credit where credit's due, they have, you know, as, as the Overton window has shifted in the last few years, they have gotten better, right? Politically, but you know, they have their understanding of their role is that they're there to like, sort of come up with like the smart solutions, you know, for those, like uh, for those people in that beer summit to, to converge on. And, and I think that like, even, you know, maybe, maybe somebody like Smith, maybe somebody like Levitt, even if like they've kind of realized on some level that the moment calls for something a lot further from Clintonism, you know, than, than that original picture, right. You know, that like we do need to do some social democratic stuff, et cetera. They still kind of see the world that way. So they have a very hard time understanding anything in terms of any framework except the two questions that they can kind of conceptualize within it, which are either one, what's the, um, you know, like what's the actual who's winning and who's losing right now, right? The horse race. And two, once they win, what are the like smart policies we can give them? That's it. Right. Exactly. To say nothing of how do we actually win those, win those policies. Uh, we, yeah, yeah. we never no, seem like to learn our that, lesson. Yeah. That yeah. question just, yeah. just, just does not enter into the equation. That's just yeah. not part of how they think. You know, Ben Burgess, I shouldn't be surprised. I asked you a question that I didn't expect a, a serious answer to, and you just gave me a very uh, eloquent one. I appreciate that. We're going to continue this on to the B side really quickly. This conversation, we're just going to wrap this up. Uh, if you're not a patron, you're going to miss out, head over to patreon.com slash dead pundits and get the entirety of our remaining conversation on the B-side. We're going to talk about how to exit the horse race, and uh, we're going to make a case for why it is 
that progressives actually need democratic socialists. I think that's that's something that you know we don't talk about enough. It's not just that we believe you're wrong, our guy's better than yours. Uh, you need us. And on the B side, we're going to explain why. Ben Burgess, thanks again for coming to the A side. Thanks so much.